Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody, and welcome in to Commanding the Huddle. I am your host, as always, Ryan Fowler. And ladies and gentlemen, we have a game. We've reached game week. Now, it's not week one against the Arizona Cardinals at FedEx Field. We're going to have to temper excitement and expectations for just a few more weeks until we reach September 10th. But we have Commanders football this week. Commanders, Browns, Friday night in Cleveland. And there's nothing better than going from training camp and we're finally seeing pads put on last week to now entering a game week where we're going to see guys actually be able to hit somebody else. And when I last talked to you guys, and today's podcast is going to be focused on week two of camp. So when we saw the pads come on and my thoughts on camp from last week, some of the thoughts that I gathered from individuals inside the building and kind of the conversations that I've had, guys that stood out, guys that didn't, guys that didn't want to see more of, and guys that need to show up. In preseason, starting off this Friday against, we're going to see a lot of Dorian Thompson-Robinson, who I'm going to talk a little bit more later in this pod, as I want to preview a couple guys to look forward to on either side of the ball for Washington this Friday. But I want to start with camp from week two and storylines from there. And we saw the pads come on, and that is the bottom line. It is so nice to see guys in a t-shirt and shorts run around the receivers, the corners. But when you want to see the defense, the linebackers, the big boys in the trenches, the running backs meeting guys in the hole, running backs and pass pro, we're going to get to the tight ends and my concerns remaining with these tight ends and pass pro, having to stay in or block in the run game as well as those wide tight ends attached to the line of scrimmage. Lots of concerns there still with this tight end group that you know I've gone blue in the face over this group for a long time. But First things first, I want to start out with a UDFA. And no, it is not Mitchell Tinsley. No, it is not Kaz Allen. It is a UDFA along the front five who I've been impressed with. And that is Mason Brooks. UDFA out of Ole Miss, a transfer where he spent a multitude of years at Western Kentucky. Only Really only got snaps in about a handful, four or five games for Ole Miss last year. Did not allow a sack and 38 pass per opportunities for the Rebels last year. But he's come into camp as a guy that, again, not drafted, come in as UDFA, SEC experience, a lot of years in college. And there were some battles last week and one-on-one opportunities that we saw in pads, especially against Federian Mathis. Phil Mathis, big boy, second round pick last year, going to be fully healthy, going to have an impact as a rotational D-tackle for this group this year. And he stood out to me. His hands, his strength in the lower half, his ability to drop his anchor and pass pro, his ability to be versatile. He's got snaps all along the front five from his time at Western Kentucky and Ole Miss. He has 250 snaps at left tackle is where he initially started his career for the Hilltoppers. Doesn't have a snap at left guard or center, but 94 snaps at right guard and over 1,800 snaps at right tackle. So he provides some of that versatility at tackle and guard inside and out that if you can never have enough guys that are able to provide that swing position. And 
UDFA, look, he's cheap right now. And not saying he's going to make the roster. We're going to see a lot of him starting this week in Cleveland, a guy that's going to probably play upwards of two and a half, three quarters potentially for this offense. Going to get a good glimpse of him against this Cleveland front five, see what he can do against NFL competition and against other guys not in the burgundy and gold. Now, I know he's been going against the twos and the threes most primarily in full team 11 on 11 work so far in camp, but the reps he's had against Phil Mathis and other guys, Deron Payne, John Allen, hasn't won every single rep. Not saying he was dominant, not anointing him as a starter or a guy that's going to be dressed on game day in week one when Washington lines up against Arizona. But you can never have enough versatility along the front five. SEC experience is always a good thing in an NFL locker room. And he's just someone that's shown up. And that's all you want to ask for for guys that are coming in as UDFAs. Come in, compete, put the helmet on, and produce. And that's what we've seen so far from Mason Brooks. So he's someone that you know, I mentioned. I'm going to get to it a little bit later as far as guys to watch in this Cleveland game. He is somebody, absolutely, that I'm going to have my eyes on along that offensive line where there still are a bunch of questions to be answered. Next, I want to talk about Emmanuel Forbes. He's going to be a constant topic of conversation, held out of a practice because of a little slight groin injury. It's not expected to be major at all, return to practice that next day. But we know that groins can sometimes linger, right? We saw with Curtis Samuel a couple years ago where we thought it was light. He came in from Carolina with the injury. Then it just lingered and got worse and worse and worse, really missed the entirety of the 2021 campaign, his first year in Washington. But... Emmanuel Forbes looks good to go, and it's just a precaution to keep him out that day, but his ability in one-on-ones, again, he's not going to be perfect. Don't expect him to be freaking Deion Sanders from week one, guys, but he is someone that is just electric on the outside. His frame, the length, the coverage ability, and the instincts are just off the chart. Really, just really been enjoyable to watch him in all one-on-one scenarios. The seven-on-seven ability where his just knack for clicking downhill and understanding when to pass off guys in deeper thirds coming downhill in the flat areas when Sam Howell or Jacoby Brissett wants to hit somebody in the flat areas of the offense, willing to tackle on the outside. That's been a stigma with his game. Oh, Manuel Forbes is 165 pounds. Does he want to tackle? He absolutely does. And if you turn on the, the tape at Mississippi State, you will see that as well. He's been able to showcase that early in camp with pads on. Next guy is Mitchell Tinsley. I, I just he continues to show up. He's been one of my favorite stories, really, to follow in camp. And, and you guys know if you listened to last episode where I talked about standouts from Week One, it seems like every year that Washington has a receiver that shows up in training camp and is a training camp darling. Brandon Banks, Rashad Ross. Last year was Markin Michelle, who dominated in training camp and was okay in preseason games. But Mitchell Tinsley wore Jahan Dotson's number five at Penn State last year, comes in as a UDFA, off an outstanding pre-draft process out at the NFLPA Bowl, at Shrine Bowl, where he was the best receiver after not even earning an invite until his performance out in LA at the NFLPA Bowl. Now he's coming into camp and he's getting some work with the twos already. So right now, you have your 11 personnel, so one running back, one tight end, your base set. It's going to be Terry McLaurin, Jahan Dotson, Curtis Samuel as the three wide receivers. That is not going to change as your base personnel. But behind that, wide receiver four, five, six, if they want to keep that six guy with some special teams pop, Mitchell Tinsley right now, don't expect him to get a ton of work on special teams. But as a receiver that has good hands, good frame, 
understands how to separate at all levels. Power five production. Another transfer from Western Kentucky. So we talked about it earlier from Mason Brooks coming in from WKU to Ole Miss. Mitchell Tinsley was a transfer from Western Kentucky after dominating with uh, the Hilltoppers there. So he is someone in camp that opening eyes and getting opportunities to move up the depth chart. And I've always said it. I appreciate Ron Rivera, Martin Mayhew's ability. If you show up, you're going to get opportunities and you're going to get snaps. He's not just sitting in the background of the roster getting rotational reps with Jake Fromm and the third team offense. He is working heavily with the twos, with Jacoby Brissett. So we're going to see him a ton Friday night in Cleveland as well. So Mitchell Tinsley from Penn State, I, I will not be shocked if they include him heavily in the game plan this week to get him some opportunities because as much as the game is, you're trying to get the offense in a little bit of a flow. Maybe the starters will play a little bit series or two just to get in the flow of some things. You want to see Sam Howell play a little bit just in game action with the new offense, with the new language, and of course, new guys along that front five, especially. But with Jacoby Brissett and Jake Fromm coming in, this offense and Eric Bienemy, they're going to target Mitchell Tinsley. They're going to target Kaz Allen and give them opportunities to make plays because are they worthy or not of making this roster come cut down day? So Mitchell Tinsley again, UDFA out of Penn State has been outstanding in camp thus far. I am not shocked to hear that. He was outstanding at Penn State, dominant during the pre-draft process, did not get drafted, but there are diamonds in the rough found every single year, and you can never have enough guys on the outside that understand how to separate. I will say it till I'm completely blue in the face. Mitchell Tinsley, I'm happy for his progression early in his career in Washington. So next is just the defense, the defense, excuse me, as as a whole. And we've we've talked about it as far as the offensive progression. You're not going to see a ton of it early in camp. This team coming out in 11 on 11s and just dominating this defense. This defense is now in year four. And Ron talked about it last week in his press comments. And you're expecting this offense to come out and look like with 15 in Kansas City and operating like how they did seamless transition. That's not how it's going to be. It takes time. And it should not be shocking to any of you that the defense has been succeeding, not just because of the talent in place, but the talent in place that's also been here for a multitude of years. This is year four of Jack Del Rio. So I fully expect with all the returners at every single level of this defense to be as dominant and as successful as they've been so far in camp. Now, that's not to say the offense looks completely terrible. They've had their rough days, but when you're, you have a brand new quarterback under center, learning his second straight offense in, in two years, you have a brand new offensive coordinator trying to put in different pieces at running back, at tight end, at wide receiver, and especially along that front five against the continuity that you already have on the defensive side of the ball. It makes life extremely tough for the offense and going against this defense is only going to make Washington's offense better every single day. Competition only makes you better. So again, I'm not getting, I'm not going, you know, too far out there and going drastic with opinions as far as this offense is not going to succeed. There's just too many speed bumps. It's been too long. We haven't even reached week one of the preseason yet. It is this week, but today is Monday and they still have multiple days of practice left to get their feet wet and to get more and more and more reps. When they're finally facing someone else and defense that hasn't seen the same concepts, excuse me, concepts continuously on, on offense the same day after day after day, you're going to see some more success. You're going to see some more productivity, some more drives put together, yards, chunk plays, the offensive line meshing a little bit. 
So just give it time with the offense. But I'm ex- I'm very happy that this defense has come out firing on all cylinders like we've seen it because it is year four of this defense. And hopefully when we get into year four of Washington's offense, potentially with Eric Bieniemy, potentially with Sam Howell and this core of offensive weapons, young offensive weapons that Washington has, they'll come into camp each year firing on all cylinders too. Like we've seen a lot of these teams that have continuity on offense across the league. Washington just does not have that right now, and they have not had that under center for a long time, which you guys all understand. Next, I want to stay on offense, and I want to talk about Chris Paul, who's been getting the majority of reps at left guard over Sadiq Charles. And good, good Washington coaching staff. Listen to my podcast. Feels like it. Getting Chris Paul some reps at left guard. Allow him to work. It feels like during OTAs and minicamp that it was Sadiq Charles almost etched in stone at left guard. And that's how it shouldn't be. You have to compete. And with now Chris getting snaps in year two, with a guy right behind him in his rearview mirror in the form of Sadiq Charles or in the form of Braden Daniels, who's been getting work at both tackle and guard, good young pieces that deserve to compete. And that's how it should remain Moving into the preseason, who's going to show up against other guys? Because I know there's been some scuffles at camp last week. Guys' tempers flaring on offense and defense. Good. Guys are competing. Guys are getting frustrated with each other. They're tired of hitting the same people. Good. Good. Allow people to compete. That's it. Not saying Chris Paul is Zach Martin or a Quentin Nelson. Or to the level that we've seen in years past from a guy like Brandon Sheriff. But let him compete. Sadiq Charles, Chris Paul, right now, that one of those two looks to be your starting left guard in week one when Arizona rolls into town. Allow him to compete for all games of the preseason and every single practice and training camp. Rotate him in. Who's showing up? Who's not? So good for Chris Paul these first few weeks in the first week of camp, really getting first week of pads, excuse me of getting work majority with the ones with Charles Leno to his left shoulder and, of course, with Nick Gates to his right shoulder at center. After that, I I do want to stay on the offensive side of the ball, and I want to bring up a little bit of something, a concern that I've had for months, and that is the tight end position, but specifically with Cole Turner because there were conversations that I had this week specifically in pass pro and run drills with Cole to where he's consistently getting blown by, whether it's Khalid Hudson, whether it's F.A. Obata, whether it's James Smith-Williams, consistently not being able to not just hold his own and engage and hold a guy up for a second, second and a half and allow the offensive progression behind you, whether it's a pass or you're sticking in for a run and you're having to leverage a guy to the inside or outside and flip those hips and redirect a defensive lineman or an outside linebacker or whoever is in front of you, Cole Turner has to improve as a wide tight end. We saw him at Nevada as that F, as an aerial weapon over the middle of the field, big target, big catch radius, big hands. That's the weapon that he was at Nevada. We've seen his ability over the middle of the field when healthy to rise above smaller defenders. 
I don't want him to live in that contested catch area, but for him to get on the field, he can't just be a guy to where he has that dynamic athletic skill set like we've seen from an Armani Rodgers to where I'm just going to say I'm going to plug in Cole Turner because he is that type of athlete. Because really, I'm putting Antonio Gibson at that F weapon, at that F spot, and taking Cole Turner's reps as a dynamic weapon in space rather than Turner right now. I'm just I'm just not if that's a, that's his static spot as an F right now. Because the three tight ends that are in the building right now in in Bates, Turner, and Thomas look to be the three tight ends for this roster. But I can't have Cole Turner be a static F in this offense. He has to be able to be some sort of stalwart as a blocker and also being able to potentially drive somebody, a smaller defender on the edges of the offensive line, out of the way on these outside runs. He has to be. And one-on-one pass protection drills, especially against Kalik Hudson, when you're getting beat, just dominated early in the rep, not using your hands, not understanding where to win with your hands, where to punch, doesn't have a good balance with his feet, not understanding technique, how to win a pass pro rep. Those are major concerns for me about the arc of Cole Turner's potential in this offense because you can't just be an F and have a limited athletic profile that Cole Turner has. I'm not saying he's not a good athlete. The kid's in the NFL. He's a heck of an athlete. But from a a yak perspective, a fundamental speed perspective, a route running perspective, that's not there with with Cole Turner. I mentioned it. Big frame, strong hands, Ability to play north-south, play vertical, play above the rim like a big a forward getting the ball in the paint. But he's got to improve the smaller portions of his game as a day three pick now in year two where he's probably going to have a role, a hefty one at that in this offense. He has to be better, especially as a blocker. So I want to, that's a big, big, big concern of mine right now. And I want to see that moving into this Cleveland game to see how he does both in the run and when he's asked to stick inside pass pro, whether he's chipping at D end and going out into the flats or staying inside and making a defensive end rush twice, whatever, seeing his ability as a guy that just has to improve as a Y tight end. So moving on from Cole Turner, I wanted to talk a little bit about the NFC East as a whole. Uh, Those were initially my camp thoughts from from last week. But I wanted to talk about the Eagles um, signing both Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham yesterday on on Sunday, August 6th. And for me, guys, when I look at this Eagles roster, the linebackers as well, the loss of TJ Edwards to Chicago is huge. And I don't think that's something that's been talked about a lot within anywhere, really. TJ Edwards was somebody that came over from Wisconsin that really progressed inside that Philadelphia defense that fed off of their success, of course, along that front four, but was really good in between the hashes, was really good running sideline to sideline, was excellent in his run fits, was a leader, was their green dot at the middle of their defense. They drafted N'Kobe Dean out of Georgia in 2022 really was someone that didn't earn a lot of snaps at the second level until the back end of the season and is someone that is undersized at the position. That was a knock on him heading into the pre-draft process. 
really good athlete sideline to sideline, physical, kind of just that bull in a china shop athlete that's going to get a ton of snaps for them this year, but just is going to get beat in coverage. And if the front four, if he's not just able to read off the front four and attack vacant alleys, he's actually having to stack and shed linemen, stack and shed tight ends. That's not N'Kobe Dean's game. It's playing free. It's allowing that front four. They got a heck of a front four. I don't need to go along the names in Philadelphia along their defensive front. But bringing in Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham, I don't think they're set right now with who they want at linebacker. Now, I want to put some context on this because they did the same thing last year, bringing in Nadamigan Sue and Linville jo- Joseph, excuse me, two guys that played along that front four in spurts, mainly rotationally for that Eagles front four last year, veterans in this league, as are Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham. But they brought over Nicholas Moreau from Chicago, gave him a one-year prove-it deal, and their depth at the position in Christian Ellis and Sean Bradley, it's just, it doesn't scare anybody, and it's not good depth. Now, a lot of LB3s on a lot of rosters aren't guys that you expect to play a lot of snaps for you, but sometimes it does work out that way. I mean, look at Washington over the last few years where we've seen Don Bostic, we've seen David Mayo, we've seen guys like Milo Eifler and Dejon Harris hang around for the last two, three years because you have to have guys that can step up. But by bringing in those two guys on cheap veteran deals, I don't know if Philadelphia is happy with what they've seen from their linebackers this year, especially as late as we are now working into the second or third week of camp and now approaching preseason games. This could very easily say, you know, Miles Jack and Cunningham, they're out in a couple weeks. They're just camp bodies. They want to see what they got from them. But every single defense and their success starts at the core. And for TJ Edwards last year in that Philly defense, I know the front four got all the attention, breaking the sack record as a team in the regular season. All of that stuff was great. But he was the nucleus and was the glue to everything. And now, again, he is gone. He is in Chicago. He got paid and he left. Still in the NFC. So if Washington, we're going to see him on Thursday night football against the Chicago Bears early in the year. But I'm interested to see how Philadelphia really progresses and evolves at the second level. Is it N'Kobe Dean? Is it Nick Moreau, their starters right now? Or, or do they expect Miles Jack and Zach Cunningham to come in and potentially compete for starts and compete for snaps? Because your success starts at, at linebacker, really. The overall success, it's held together at the second level. All the best defenses in football have good linebacking tandems. So, Kobe Dean, Nick Moreau, for them, from a Philadelphia's perspective, any Eagles fans out there, it's a wake-up call to those two guys. Not saying they're going to get their jobs taken, but this is late now into the summer with the season just a little over a month away, and they have you know five, six linebackers in the building where they're trying to figure out who's going to be at their core for moving in forward into 2023. So, final thing I wanted to talk about, guys, is the preseason game. On Friday, and I wanted to talk about a few guys on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball that I'm just really excited to see suit up. And bottom line on offense, I'm going to highlight the entire front five. That also includes depth guys like Braden Daniels, Ricky Stromberg, Tyler Larson. I want to see Mason Brooks, as I mentioned at the top. Nolan Laufenberg at guard. Is he, he's been around a little bit inside Washington. Is he going to be able to potentially earn a swing guard role? I don't think so, but he is someone that's going to work with the twos and work with the threes a bunch. So that entire front five and every single offensive line that's going to align for Washington on Friday, 
I'm really excited to see them. But my focus, guys, turns to the receivers. And I'm not going to talk about the tight ends anymore because Curtis Hodges is going to get a lot of work away from the top three tight ends. But really, it starts with Mitchell Tinsley. It starts with Kaz Allen. And it really even looks at a guy like Jami Brown and Dax Millen. I mean, all those guys are competing for wide receiver four, five, and six on this roster. And I just mentioned, you know, five or six guys, right? Kemp, Pringle, Tinsley, Allen, Milne, and Brown. That's six guys. You got your three starters already. Who's going to show up? Who's going to get targets? Who's also going to do the little things? Who's going to return some punts and some kicks? I expect Kaz Allen to do that a lot. Dax Milne may get an opportunity to do that. You know, I really don't expect too much from guys like Bryson Tremaine and Jalen Sample and Zion Bowens, guys that we'll see as well on Friday night. But those guys that I just mentioned, all of them are going to get reps on Friday night, multiple, multiple quarters of snaps. So all of those athletes on offense, I'm excited to see, especially with Kaz Allen, how they use him. He's probably going to get those snaps that Curtis Samuel does in the slot, on the outside, a motion piece. And again, kick returner, punt returner, legit 4-3 speed, success at UCLA, taking kicks and punts back. Really excited to see Kaz Allen. He's going to be wearing Curtis Samuel's old number in number 10 on Friday night. And of course, as you guys know, Curtis changed his number in the offseason. The number he wore back at Ohio State, he's now wearing number four. So Curtis Samuel, we're working the third and fourth quarter and you see number 10 on the field. It's not Curtis Samuel. It's going to be Kaz Allen. And Curtis, of course, is wearing that number four. On the defensive side of the ball, not going to talk about the starters. I really don't need to see anything from the starters. Maybe Chase Young gets a series just to test out that knee, how he feels in gameplay. Uh, of course, coming off of the knee injury last year, or the year prior, excuse me, and seeing him in the back end of last year. But Phil Mathis, John Ridgeway, see, see, see them get some snaps. You know, Phil working into year two off of a week one nasty knee injury last year against Jacksonville. So I'd like to see him for a couple series, maybe a quarter or so. Allow him to get some work against another face along the front five. Uh, at, at linebacker, Cody Barton, I'm not I'm not sure just yet how long we'll see everybody. I want to make sure everybody's healthy. Anybody have any tweaks? We've seen Cody have a tweak. Seen Forbes have a tweak. Logan Thomas on the opposite side of the ball has had a tweak. But really, Khalid Hudson, James Smith-Williams, I mentioned John Ridgeway, Abdullah Anderson from Atlanta, you know, came over in the offseason. See him a little bit. Is he going to be on the roster? I don't know. I think it's a long shot, in my opinion, that he makes the roster. But yeah, the guys I mentioned specifically with Khalid Hudson at the second level, I think he's going to play a bunch this week. He's going to have a role this year, and he's going to play high. He's going to play low. He's going to be someone that can roam sideline to sideline. He's got the athleticism to do so. can play some safety. Not asking him to roll back as a Percy Butler or a Cam Curl. Not asking him to do that. He will live statically most likely at that second level and that low hole linebacker spot, that outside linebacker, really, if you want to classify it in this 4-3 defense. But I just want to see him fly around. Strap up and fly around and make some plays. We saw Cleveland in their first game at the Hall of Fame game in Ohio against the Jets, and they ran the ball extremely well. That get, that just tells me that the linebackers this week are going to have opportunities to make some plays. Maybe force a fumble, get a TFL or two, make some plays on defense. So Khalid Hudson definitely has a spotlight for me. And really, guys, the rookies on the outside. And that starts that starts with our first two picks this year. And, and where else are you going to start, right? With Emmanuel Forbes, of course, first rounder out of Mississippi State, and Quan Barton out of Illinois. They took early on day two. Again, guys, not sure how long we're going to see him. Not saying, oh, Emmanuel's got to get a pick or he doesn't look good. 
but just seeing how he is in the game action, right? It, the nerves are going to be there. It's in Cleveland. It's not at FedEx Field. So it's just getting the nerves out in your first game. There's going to be even more nerves, of course, when you work in the regular season when games actually count. But just seeing these guys in uniform lining up, right? You're going to see Emmanuel Forbes and his number 13 on the outside, and you're going to see Quan at nickel most likely in that number 20. Just seeing them fly around, young pieces. Talked about it a lot, how young this Washington secondary is with guys like Derek Forrest and Cam Curl. I've talked about... We, of course, we talked about Quan and Emmanuel Forbes and Benjamin St. Juice is now working into year three, but everybody is so young. Percy Butler, young players, young, young players that are also happen to be heck of good football players. So they are going to be the ceiling, the glue of this defense at the top and seeing how they mesh early when Cleveland wants to come out, whether we see Deshaun Watson, who knows? We didn't see him in week one when the Browns played the Jets. We're most likely going to see Dorian Thompson Robinson. And I'm happy that this defense is going to see him because your guys, the twos and the threes that are going to come in and be tested because Dorian can sling it with his arm and it can also create with his legs. He is a heck of an athlete under center. Very similar game to what Cleveland has under center with Deshaun Watson. You'll see that around the league to where teams as quarterbacks and their backups, not, not everywhere, teams sometimes get a little bit of a way as far as contrasting skill sets in quarters, their starters and the QB2s. But a lot of offenses like to obviously keep those same types of skill sets at QB1 and QB2. I mean, look last year and last few years in Baltimore with Lamar Jackson and a guy like Tyler Huntley, even when Tyrod Taylor was in Baltimore. So those types of skill sets are consistent and I'm excited for this defense to be tested both in coverage. So linebackers running, flipping their hips, having to cover guys, corners on the outside, the safeties, whether you're playing low, whether you're playing high, the defensive ends, right? You can't just pin your ears back and just pursue a guy. You're not attacking a static quarterback in the pocket when DTR is in the game. He's going to be able to create. So you have to be disciplined in your rush lanes, force him back to the inside, all those things. So he's going to offer a really good glimpse as far as just guys being disciplined at all three levels, a coverage perspective with the corners, being able to stick with their guys three, four, five seconds, potentially downfield. A lot of good things that we'll see this week, a really good test for this defense, specifically against DTR, an offense that is already coming off, already a live game, of course, that Hall of Fame game last week. So just really excited for football, guys. We've been talking about it for so long. Last time we saw Washington, of course, was that week 18 win home against Dallas. It seems like it was almost three years ago because we've talked, of course, so much. You guys have been with me the whole offseason, through free agency, the draft, the lead up to the draft, post-draft, the rookie minicamp, OTAs. Now we're multiple weeks into training camp. Guys are hitting. Guys are really cracking. Look, emotions are high. People are excited to play football within this roster. Ron Rivera's got a newfound energy with, of course, new ownership in the building. And I'm just excited to see this team hit the field in Cleveland. Can't believe it's just four days away, Friday night against the Browns. going to be a really good test for a lot of these first, second-year players. And, of course, these UDFA guys coming in that didn't think they were going to have an opportunity once they weren't drafted, coming in going to get an opportunity, right, in the Burgundy and Gold, and that's all you can ask for. So some people don't like the preseason. I don't know how. You look. You get to see younger guys. It's almost like NBA Summer League. You get to see potentially the future of your roster. You're not going to see the starters for three quarters. You're just not. That's not how things work in the preseason. But you're going to see the twos. You're going to see the threes for a good amount of time. Most likely the threes for probably the middle portions of the second quarter, onto the third and onto the fourth in that second half. Just a lot of guys that deserve an opportunity. They're going to get an opportunity. And it's just whether you take advantage of it 
or you falter, and just in a couple of weeks, you're just not going to be on the final 53 or the practice squad, and your locker is just not is not going to be there anymore. So I love preseason. Young guys get an opportunity. Young guys get a chance to show up in all three phases of the game. So it's also, guys, we're working into the preseason now, and we're going to have back our two episodes per week. So no longer are we doing one episode a week on Mondays, two episodes a week. So I'm coming to you now on Monday. And for this week, with the game being on Friday evening, I will have an episode out for you guys on Saturday morning recapping everything. What I like, what I didn't like, players that stood out, players that didn't look so hot, everything. Offense, defense, special teams, I'll recap that for you guys. I will have that out for you on Saturday. So as always, appreciate you guys' time. Leave a like, review, share, subscribe. It's always appreciated on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify. If you don't follow me already on Twitter, I have underscore, well, I guess I can't call it Twitter Twitter anymore. X, if you don't follow me on X, it's at underscore Ryan Fowler. Again, always appreciate you guys' time. We got football right around the corner. Cannot wait for Friday night. Enjoy your guys' week. Get excited for Friday night. Preseason week one, Washington Commanders at the Cleveland Browns. Again, Friday night. Friday night, August 11th. Can't wait, guys. Again, I'll have a recap out for you on Saturday morning. And of course, I will be tweeting the game live throughout the evening. So as always, I am Ryan Fowler. This is Commanding the Huddle. And this is our final podcast before we get cracking, before football. It's been a long off season, but we can now put the off season in the past. We are finally getting ready to crack pads. So I thank you guys as always, and I'll talk to you on Saturday. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.